If you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, and as you find that, you can stand and I will read Romans 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proving character, and proving character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were yet sinners, Christ, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Heavenly Father, we again just thank you for your word. We thank you for the time we've already had to remember Christ's death on our behalf until that time when he would come again. We thank you for the work that has been done, Lord, that is complete in bringing us into relationship with you and having our sins forgiven and in making us one with you and with one another. Thank you, God, for your abundant grace upon us. And Lord, with the, again, with the reading of your word and, and, and looking into it, we pray again that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, this is um, uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I take it that this is really one of the, one of the key places, key um, passages in Romans it's, um, it's a point where Paul is bringing together, again, things that he has said before. Um, and what he's been talking about, you recall the first three chapters, he was speaking about the wrath of God and, and the justice of God, that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, as sinners, as outside of relationship with God, we can only expect his wrath and his judgment. But chapter 4, because of... Christ's work on our behalf, if we simply trust in Jesus and what He has done for us, then we can can know the, the redemptive grace of God, we can know the justification of God, because God's wrath has been propitiated through the blood of Christ, and in that we have right standing, righteousness with God. So a lot of big words, propitiation, righteousness, justification, redemption, All of these things, there are things that have been secured through the death of Jesus. That being said, Paul says, I want to tell you now what the blessings, the benefits that come from having been justified by the blood of Christ and putting our faith in Him. We had a a tornado come through his hill a few years ago, and um, the weather, National Weather Service came out to investigate. And they um, were two men, um, professional meteorologists, you know, experienced looking at, at, 
at aftermath of, of storms and tornadoes and making their assessments of what kind of tornado it was, be big or large, that kind of thing. And so they're looking at one spot on our property that, that had been um, damaged by this tornado. And it was one house, the chimney had been, had been blown off the house, um, um, TV antenna down. And so they were looking at that, walking all around this house, looking at it. And I was standing there with them. And as they were discussing with each other and consulting, they said, what we think this was, was a downdraft, that just a burst of air that hit right on this one spot and did this damage. And I'm going, that's all? And they said, yes, just a downdraft is kind of a freak of nature. It can just, boom, just hit in one isolated place. And the neighbor's house next door is not even hurt, but this is hurt right here. And I go, well, what about the rest of the damage? And they go, well, there wasn't any. It was just right. And I, and I go, gentlemen, you know, I don't want to tell you your business, but there is a mile and a half of territory here that's been damaged. You're looking at one little aspect of it. You need to look at the whole thing. So I took him down to the river where it first touched down, took him up to the top of the, of the hill where it finally went, went back up in the sky. It was a mile and a half of damage. It wasn't just one little downdraft. They weren't seeing the context of what was going on. And Paul is bringing here, he wants us to, to, to think again on the justification that God has secured for us, but he wants to get again the context of this. And the context is the death of Christ and then the consequences that come from that justification. So if you go with me back to verse 25 of chapter 4, this is a very important verse to look at in linking now what Paul's going to say because you remember chapter 5 verse 1, the first word is therefore. So that's connected to something. And it's chapter 4, verse 25. He was delivered up because of our transgression and was raised up because of our justification. So there's the big word, justification. But here's the thing to catch the note of here. The sequence here is very important. He was delivered up. Christ died because of our transgression. So which comes first? The death of Christ or man's sin? Man's sin. Men's sin, Jesus died. So that is a very important sequence that we have to follow through. Now the rest of the verse. He was raised up because of our justification. So which comes first? The resurrection or the justification? The justification comes first. Just as the transgression came before the crucifixion, the justification comes before the resurrection. The resurrection does not justify sinners. It is the death of Christ, which is the basis for the justification of sinners. It is on the basis of Christ's death that we have redemption, that we have justification, that we are declared righteous, and that God's wrath is propitiated. It is on the basis of Christ's death. Now, if you go down a little further here in Romans 5, you'll see he comes back to it. Look where he says, um, just picking it up in in verse 9. Um, where he says, much more than having now been justified by his blood. So we are not justified by his resurrection. We are justified by his blood, by his death. So look at verse 25 again of chapter 4. He was raised up because of our justification. So what is the point? Why is it, what is he even trying to stress here? And why even mention the resurrection? And the point is here, that, we, that no Christian 
doubts that Jesus was raised from the dead. That is the cornerstone of our faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, If Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is pointless. It is useless. We are still in our sins. And so if you're a Christian today, you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again from the dead. So that is, that is, that is a cornerstone to the gospel, that Christ died for our sins and He rose again from the dead. And so here, what is the point of mentioning this? No Christian doubts the resurrection of Jesus. You may doubt your own salvation, but you don't doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, think about that. If you don't doubt that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, neither should you doubt your justification. Because the resurrection of Christ is the proof of our justification. Amen? That's what he's saying here. Christ rose from the dead. His resur- he was raised because of our justification. Not for our justification, but because of our justification. If we had not been justified based on the, ba- on the death of Jesus, then God would not have raised Him from the dead. If the death of Christ was not sufficient to pay for our sin, Jesus would have stayed dead. But our justification is based upon the sufficient payment of Christ's death on our behalf. Therefore, therefore, because His death is sufficient, Christ could rise from the dead. If you should never doubt whether or not you are justified. If you don't doubt the resurrection of Christ, then you should never doubt your, justifi- your justification, your right standing before God. Christ rose from the dead. And as we place our faith in Him, God says, our salvation is as sure as Jesus is alive. We are justified before God. That's good stuff. Now, he says, but that only gets me started. And Paul says, man, I think about that, and man, I, I, I want to go off. And, and he does. And, he, and, he, and here in the first verse, he starts listing all the present and past benefits, and then he's going to move on to the future. He says, first, first of all, therefore, having been justified, it's been done. It is past tense. And he did it. We didn't, it didn't happen to us. It's in the past, and it's in the passive. God did it in the past. It's done. By faith. And remember when Paul says by faith, he means by faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith in faith, but faith in Jesus Christ. Having been justified in the past, God's activity by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what is man's biggest problem? He must one day face a holy God as a sinner. That's a problem. He falls short of the glory of God. And God is a God of justice and wrath. My land. Why would anybody want to stand before God on the basis of his own merits when all have fallen short of the glory of God? But Paul says, because of faith in Jesus Christ, we have been justified and now we have peace with God. What that means is, that's just another way of saying we've been reconciled to God. And that's what he's going to come back to at the end of this paragraph. We have reconciliation because of the death of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation, peace with God. It's not peace of God. 
That's Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, brethren, but by, with everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. This is peace with God, and it comes before peace of God. The unbeliever really has no business praying for peace of God until he first has peace with God. And peace with God means there's no problem. I've used this illustration before. You've heard me preach it, that, that the word for reconciliation, the idea of peace with God, is like taking, looking at your watch and realizing, oh, you know, I look at my watch and it's running five minutes faster than what my cell phone says. Well, probably my cell phone is right, right? Because that's based off some satellite somewhere. And my watch here is based off a battery or a self-winding thing, and it's probably the one that's wrong. So the problem's not the satellite, chances are. The problem is my watch. And so when I take my watch off my wrist and adjust my watch to my cell phone, I have performed a reconciliation. I have reconciled my wristwatch to my cell phone. I assume that the problem is not with the cell phone. The problem is with my watch. I don't try to adjust my cell phone and split the difference between the watch and the cell phone. Can't even, I wouldn't even know how to do that. I mean, I can already turn the thing on. So I can't adjust the difference. The reconciliation is always one way. There is only one way that reconciliation is ever described in Scripture. And it is the sinner being reconciled to God. It is never God being reconciled to the sinner. Because God doesn't need to change, you see? God is the standard. God is holy. We need to change. We need to be brought into the righteousness of God. We need to have our sins forgiven. We need right standing with God. God does that through faith in Jesus Christ. And now he says there is absolutely no difference. You have been brought into the very perfection of Jesus Christ himself. You have right standing with God. You have peace with God. You may not feel like it. I sometimes don't feel like it. But I'm going to tell you, the feelings of guilt, the feelings of condemnation that we sometimes live under are not from God. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't convict us about particular sins. He does. But He does not have us walk around with a vague sense of condemnation. That's from the devil. That is not from God. Because God says, you are my beloved child, and I have put you right with me. There is not a problem here. God is not bringing up our past and beating us over the head with it. He says, it is forgiven. You have peace with me. Man, this is good stuff. This is the good news of the gospel. I can live my whole life thinking about what I did 30, 40, 50 years ago. Not quite that long. I can't remember three. But I'm telling you, I can remember back a long time and said, I still can't believe that. And the thought comes to mind, I want to hit my head against a wall. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. That is not God saying, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. That's not God. That's me. That's the devil. It's not God. God says, I have put you right with me. You are as right as right can be. Give it up. I'm not bringing these things up. Thank me. Praise me. 
that on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been justified. You have peace with me. And then he says, through whom, meaning Jesus Christ, through whom we have also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. And it is pure grace. In which we stand. It's never going to be removed. By the grace of God, we came, into right standing with, by, we came into right standing with God. And by the grace of God, we will stay in right standing with God. Sometimes I've had people say, well, Charlie, man, yeah, I knew I was cleansed from my sin when I first received Jesus. But all these years have gone by and I've done some pretty bad things. Confess your sins. Confess your sins. And, Jesus, and God says in his word, that He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. But I want you to know you're already forgiven. Because all your sin, past, present, and future, all of it was, was, was future when Christ died for it. And He died for every single sin. You have peace with God. And this grace that you stand in is never going to be removed. Never. You stand in the grace of God. No matter what you do. And now the first of the three things that cause Paul to rejoice, or as in New American Standard, it's the word exalt with a U, not with an A. Exalt, not exalt. And the idea here, I'm really not quite sure why some of the modern translations have translated rejoice, because that's not the best idea. The better idea that usually this word, when it's translated in the New Testament, is translated either glory in or boast in. And so rejoice is almost too small of a word. It's, and so this here, this old word, exalt, it's I boast in, I glory in these things. What things? When I think about the future, when I think about my present trials, and when I think about God. Three things. Look at it. The end of verse 2, we exalt in hope. That's dealing with the future. Verse 3, we exalt in our tribulations. That's dealing with our present trials. And then finally in verse 11, we exalt in God. That's the third thing that we're going to exalt in. Exalt in. That we boast in. That we glory in. When, it's, when I think of the future. And this is about as far as we're going to be able to get. When I think of the future. Paul says. Because I have right standing with God. I do not worry. About what I am going to get. When I stand before God. I thank God. For what's going to happen when I stand before him on that day. How many of us Christians we think, well, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to have any rewards when I stand before God. I mean, if rewards are based upon faith, and I don't know how much of a life of faith that I've lived, and I'm thinking I'm going to stand there and I'm not going to have nothing, man. I'm just going to be standing there with a white sheet on. That's <laughs> it. I'm not even going to have a halo, nothing. And Paul says, you know, on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, on the basis of who Christ is and what He has done for me, I have absolute confidence when it comes to standing before God. And I look forward to it. And so should every Christian. He says, we exalt in hope of the glory of God. That's what our future is. Remember back in 323, he says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But our confidence in Christ is the glory of God. 
We very people who fall short of God's glory one day will be a manifestation of His glory. We will be brought into harmony with His glory. That's pretty awesome. I think this is what Paul had in mind in Colossians chapter 1, where at the beginning of the chapter he says, I pray that you might walk in a manner worthy of Christ who has called you. And then in verse 27 he says, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. How can I ever have the hope of walking in a manner worthy of Christ? Because Christ lives in me. And by God's grace, by His enabling presence, I can live a life that is true to Christ. His glory can be manifest in me. And however much I may fall short of that today, that is not indicative of the future. Because the day is going to come when we will each stand before God in His glory and we will look like Jesus. First, first John says that when that day comes and we will stand before Him and we shall, we shall be like Him, every one of us no matter how miserably we may feel that we may be living now. Paul says, I'm not looking at that. I know that my future is not based on how well I'm living today. My future is based upon Jesus Christ and what He has done. And when I think about the future, man, I'm pumped. Because I'm going to stand before God in glory and God's going to say, welcome home. And I'm going to look around and think, Look at all these saints, man. Where'd they come from? And they're you guys. And I'm going, man, I never knew you looked so good. And they're going, well, we're just thinking the same about you. We're going to be amazed at what God has done with each one of us. And because of that, there's always room for hope now, isn't there? Right now, we can take hope that God isn't finished. But one day he will finish the work that he has begun to the praise of his glory. He saved us. He justified us. And he will bring us into glory. Amen? Amen. Man, it's going to be good. We don't, and, you know, we're not doing as well today as we should. None of us can say we've arrived. Even Paul said, I have not yet arrived. I have not yet attained. But I know the day is coming. When I am not going to get what I deserve, I am going to get what I don't deserve. The glory of God. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the promise, God, that you've given us. We live in a time, Lord, where we're so concerned about what the next day is going to bring. But I thank you, God, you've told us what the last day brings, the glory of God. And that you will keep us until that day blameless in Christ. That we are in Christ and Christ is in us and nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God. Thank you for the pledge of your Holy Spirit, God, that you have given to us until that day of redemption. That we thank you, God, that is that as sure as Jesus is alive, that we will stand before you in glory one day. And be made like Christ, truly, 100%. And that we will be received by you as your beloved children. Thank you, God. Encourage our hearts, strengthen our hearts, God, in this coming week, every day, every moment, in the reminder, God, by your Spirit indwelling us, that we're your children, that you love us, and that we have right standing with you. In Jesus' name.